Hey people, welcome back to series three of Not Another Sales Podcast. My name is Chris Atfield. I'm the founder and coach of Sales Psyche, a company focused on supporting and developing sales and commercial teams, mental health, well-being, and performance. This podcast aims to look at the world of sales through a different lens, providing not just the tactics, but also the mindset of what makes us successful. This series, I'm asking guests, what's one thing they suggest you try, avoid, and keep doing to be successful? whether that's as a rep, leader, or organization. So let's get started. On today's episode, I'm joined by host of the Sales Enablement Podcast by Andy Poole, founder of The Sales House, and author and speaker, Andy Poole himself. And Andy and I are going to be talking about a range of topics, including why you should and shouldn't start a podcast and the story behind his, bringing back the emphasis on individual sellers and not getting lost in the process too much, realigning the tools and technology we use to truly serve our salespeople and the buyer, and also creating more of a focus on the buyer journey and the experience itself. So sit back and enjoy. Andy, welcome. How are we doing? Chris, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, as we are just, just talking about before we started recording, we're, we're staying safe. We are. We are indeed. We're being very good examples for everyone that should follow. Yes. And um, thank you so much for what is probably quite a busy time of the year of coming on the podcast and returning the favor. Well, thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed having our conversation on my show, which will come out uh, <laughs> soon to anyone. This one, this one. Goes yeah, <laughs> it's like an inception when you talk about dates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another, that's right. Recording. Um, but yeah, Andy, for the very few people, because I can't imagine there's many tuning in right now that aren't familiar with who you are, it'd be great to give them a bit of context, almost your origin story as to who you are before we kick things off. <laughs> My origin story. Well, I mean, most immediately, host of uh, my own podcast called Sales Enablement with Andy Paul. And gosh, we've been doing that podcast uh, in one form or another, meaning different names we've had, but for over five years now. So uh, I think we have episode 862 today, I think, coming out. Um, so it's been a tremendous amount of fun. And um as I say, it's a very selfish thing, podcasting, I believe, if you do at least approach it the way I do, which is, you know, I've had the chance to talk to nearly 900 really smart people about sales and marketing and leadership and entrepreneurship, and I've learned learned a ton from doing it. So probably got more benefit out of it than the, the guest had. But so I did that. But prior to that, uh, for about 20 years, ran my own consulting company, uh, focused primarily working sort of mid-sized companies uh, with sales issues uh, mm -hmm. prior to that I had worked for a variety of, of startups tech startups um, ranging from you know computer systems to large complex or global communication systems um, and had actually started my company with this idea of since I'd had a pretty good track record as working for a small company with no brand name, no track record, selling large multi-million dollar, tens of millions of dollars, you know, things, contracts uh, to big companies, working for companies, as I said, with no brand name, no track record. And so started my company back in 2000 to help other companies sort of learn how to, other small companies, learn how to compete against the big guys. And uh, that then led to publishing my two books and uh, starting the podcast and here we are today yeah and i was going to explore this a bit later on but we've sort of touched on it from the start what what inspired you to get into podcasting in the first place was there <laughs> a number of events or was it like a one-off moment of i should start a podcast 
Yeah, almost, almost sort of a one-off. So almost an epiphany is, is, is a combination of things is, is, uh, I was at a, a conference and I, one of the keynote speakers was a gentleman named John Lee Dumas, who has a very popular podcast called Entrepreneur on Fire. And I was just sort of inspired by him talking about the podcast he had built at the time. It was quite successful then. And, uh, yeah, you know, the benefits he was getting from it, from his for his business and so on. And I, that probably more than anything was what sort of lit the fuse to say, "Oh, that's interesting. Uh, let's let's look at that." And because I, yeah, I've been doing a lot of blogging. I said I published a couple books, but it was or my second one was just going to be published that year that I started. But it was like that seems like a got to be a better, more effective way to be able to communicate with with people that are interested in learning more about sales. And mm. so, yeah, literally maybe there was two weeks from the time I was at the conference, the time we made the decision to start the podcast, uh, we being my son, my business partner, my son. And um, yeah, it was like June and we started recording episodes in July and we launched the podcast in October. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been sort of, you know, an evolution there. We've had various frequencies. We, at one point we were doing five episodes a week and then went back to one episode per week. And now we're back at three episodes per week. So just sort of responding to what people are, are asking us for in terms of the content and the types of things we're doing. Mm. Yeah, I'd, um, I've had John on the show actually on my other podcast um, mm -hmm. a couple of times, a really interesting Entrepreneurs on Fire. I discovered him in the Gary V book. Oh, okay. uh, crushing it came across him right. there and found it really insightful some of the stuff he he got from it yeah well and also we when we started the podcast we joined his community podcasters mm -hmm. paradise and there was no better resource that we just sort of followed the guidebook about how to start a podcast and yeah extremely extremely useful the resources he puts together mm. And you mentioned before, like it's 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 almost like a, a selfish perspective, almost sometimes starting a podcast. But what have you what have you learned from it personally? What do you think it's helped you with in terms of your your skills outside of podcasting? Well, I don't know about skills as much. I think one of the things that's done is just help me keep intimately informed about what's happening in sales right mm -hmm. sort of the broader industry of sales and uh various types of sales whether it's you know SaaS sales or you know sales technologies or whatever because i have all these people on the show so yeah to be able to really stay current and probably more current on a broader scale than <laughs> most anybody else <laughs> has really been valuable so yeah i think i'm it's benefited me by saying yeah i'm pretty well informed and pretty well in touch with with what's happening broadly in sales and also specifically for sales managers and individual sellers and so on what are some of your predictions i suppose for for this year <laughs> i don't know if you've seen a show called uh, room 101 um and i'm probably throwing a bit of a different spin on it but they, they take two or three items the guest and they're like right i'm gonna throw one away i'm gonna introduce one and i'm gonna bring back one mm. so if you were thinking about that from this year like what is one thing we'll start with the well i'll let you pick one thing to bring back one way one thing to throw away and one thing that we need to start doing or introduce well i'm on the spot um 
Well, I think that that I hope, and certainly this is one of my things that I advocate for, is that we bring back more of the emphasis on the individual seller in sales. And yeah, there's really, I think, in the rush that we've seen development of, of certainly in the SaaS industries, which tend to dominate the conversation in sales these days, is it's all been about the primacy of the process and that sellers basically become these activity-driven, interchangeable cogs in a process. Um, and, and I think that that's, the outcome of that has been is that arguably as sellers, we're performing at lower levels than we ever did before, but in some cases making it up in volume. And, and I don't think that's sustainable. And I think more and more people are coming to the realization that that is not sustainable. And so we're gonna have to, uh, to some degree is, oh my gosh, actually invest in our salespeople and try to help them get better <laughs> in, a, in a serious way. So I think that that's, that's one thing that, that we'll see more, more talk about in 2021. Um, mm -hmm. And so what's the next one? What, what would I keep the same? What would you throw away? What would you, what would you just think is, and not just obviously what's happened, but what do you think still exists that just needs to, needs to probably well, stop? Yeah. I mean, I think that, that this is my personal belief is that there's just an, entirely too much focus on on lead gen quite frankly well you know when you look at the amount of energy spent in sort of the sales ecosphere uh yeah you look on linkedin and the articles and everything's about lead gen lead gen lead gen and it's like it's not that's not important it's hugely important but it's not selling in my mind i mean lead gen is marketing right it's demand generation yet I would arguably say that maybe three quarters of the the content you see on a place like LinkedIn that's nominally about sales is really about lead generation. And hey, yeah, I came of age in the day when I was out in the field making dozens of cold calls a day. So you know, I understand the importance of of needing to have a pipeline of prospects. But man, we seem to have gone too far in that direction where we're ending up as a result just and there are a lot of companies that have built their sales process these ways. So we just put enough crap into the top of the funnel. We know we'll win a certain percentage of them. And if we want to grow the company, we just do more stuff at the top of the funnel. And there are a lot of very successful SaaS companies that that's exactly what they're doing. And that's what I said before. It wasn't not really sustainable. Um, that's going to have to change. And I think we've lost this emphasis on actual selling. What happens actually have qualified opportunities, what companies call sales qualified opportunity or sales qualified lead. What happens then? And we've sort of taken our eye off the ball of the actual selling part of it. How do we move somebody from a point of interest to actually winning a high fraction of those deals? And um, that's problematic. So, you know, I think it'd be really good from a, just a mind share perspective if we start shifting more of our attention to how we become more productive actually selling. Mm. And um, again, I think there's some movement that I'm seeing now on the part of, of companies, on part of investors that invest in these startup companies to say, yeah, we need to focus more on actually selling as opposed to generating leads. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, technology has brought a lot of advancements and benefits to 
sales, but it can also cause complacency sometimes and almost feel like, you know, when you're bringing in things that can help you with your outreach, what are you actually bringing to the party? How are you differentiating yourself and, and injecting your personality into that mm-hmm. sales process and that playbook and not just relying on that to, to, to make you successful? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's sort of two parts. One is, is, you know, when you look at the technology and, and that we're using of which, gosh, I wish I'd had a, when I was in the sort of the early stages of my career is that, you know, we've created the situation with the technology that demands the technology. And I, by way of explanation is, is I was reading something the other day ago, uh, about somebody said, well, what's the definition of modern sales? And the definition put forth was the ability to break through the noise. Well, the irony is, is noise is created by modern sales and marketing technologies, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so we've, you know, we justify the use of the technologies to solve a problem that we created with the technologies. And, and I think the problem that exists is that is that you know, sales bosses, whatever, just haven't really come to this the realization that just because they can do something, just because the technology enables you to do something, so just because you can doesn't mean you should. And, and so I think there's gonna be, I think, I know there's gonna be a rethink of how we're using the tools and technology to become more productive because that has not happened. And, mm. and we're creating the problems with the, the technology by and large, because we don't really know how to use it to help the seller, the individual seller, and to help the buyer make a decision. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you mentioned about helping salespeople and, and us in general become more productive. And, and the first piece you mentioned, of course, about investing more in, in sell, like us as their development, their personal development, what what do you think are some of the things, particularly more of a remote world now, but just overall that companies and sales enablement and leaders can do to invest more in their teams to support them from that that mindset, that mental well-being point of view as well in this kind of different climate? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think a fundamental issue in sales is that we've we've trained sellers in the wrong things for years <laughs> and and it's gotten worse as in the last 10 15 years i said when we become more dominated by the process and the technology is this idea of how do we really help a buyer make a decision really has gotten lost and so it's still about how do we sell our product as opposed to how do we help a, pro- a customer solve a problem and I think that's a fundamental mind shift change that needs to be made. Uh, if we're going to start, I call it even bringing back sales performance to a level it was a couple decades ago. And, and that's just, that's missing. And that needs to come back. Cause you know, our job as sellers is really one thing. I feel, well, let's look at buyers. What are buyers trying to accomplish? And, I believe, and I think it's absolutely true. So what buyers are trying to do is trying to quickly gather information and make quickly gather and make sense of information to help them make a good decision with the least investment of time and resources possible. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. That's it for buyers. That's what they're trying to do. And 
so as a seller, your job should be, how do I, my job should be to help the buyer quickly gather and make sense of the information they need to make a good decision with the least investment of their time and resources. And that's, that's not on the horizon or on the radar of virtually any sales training company. And we need to have this, this mindset shift so that we're saying, look, what we're doing with sales is this is not the adversarial process that we have now. I mean, there's always going to be some of it, because, but, but it's much more aligned with what the buyer is doing. And we're just completely out of alignment with the way the buyer looks at the tasks they're trying to get done. And so that needs to change. Yeah. How would you, uh, well, not advise because it's quite a big thing. It depends on everyone's world, but <laughs> what are like one or two practical things you think that people can start looking at differently to do that? Well, I think one is look at how buyers make decisions. So there's all this talk. I was just reading some yesterday. There's a couple of articles about, you know, how do we get the buyer across the finish line? It's like, well, you're really missing the point. And the point is when people set out to make decisions, and this is not news, this is stuff that's been researched and written about for, for decades, is that people really go through two stages. Is the first stage is choosing how they're going to solve their problem. And the second one is having chosen how they're going to solve the problem, they're going to choose who to solve it with. Mm -hmm. And what we train sellers to do is just sort of bypass that whole how thing and just go to who, right? Choose me, choose me, raise my hand. Hey, me, 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 you know, like a little kid. And it's like, well, you're sort of missing something, which is how do we help the buyer define what their problem is, right? How do we help them create options for solving those problems? How do we have them help them choose us as the way they want to solve, as the way they want to, how the answer to the how they want to solve their problem. Mm. And if we can come to their choice, then we're going to win the deal. High likelihood. We're going to win their deal. So there's lots of elements of that. That's not a focus at all of any sales training. So we're training people to sort of go out and try to persuade somebody to buy your product. And it's like, but they don't even know what the problem is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to your point before talking about, you know, this phrase of getting them over the finish line, often it's the salesperson's finish line rather than the the customer's finish line because they don't necessarily understand it a lot of the time. Yeah. And there's that. And there's also, Hey, your buyers don't know how to buy. So your job is to educate them how to buy There's some validity in that. I mean, mm. I know the products I spent most of my career selling. Yeah. They'd buy these things once in a lifetime. Yeah. You know, selling massive satellite communication systems uh, for a good chunk of my career. Yeah. They didn't have a process for buying those. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. We'd help them. But that wasn't, that wasn't really the hard thing. I mean, once they had chosen how they wanted to solve the problem, then getting them across the finish line wasn't that hard. Mm. I mean, it's like the hard part was getting them to say, yeah, this is how I want to solve the problem. This is the approach we want to take. And the rest of it, yeah, you have to pay attention to it. You have to deal with the stakeholders, get them involved. You have to have, you know, your internal champions, all those things. You're not ignoring those things. But we've made it sound like that's the hard part. That is not the hard part. If you have a customer that's that's made the choice to choose you and wants to use you to solve a problem and achieve a specific business outcome, if you're making that more difficult than it needs to be, shame on you. 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think one of the things um, that I've seen work quite well from a practical point of view to add what you mentioned of getting people to maybe think more about the customer rather than self is, is onboarding is, is when people come into the business is all we do at the moment is tell them, here's the company's vision. Here's the products and service. Here's what we do. Here's what we sell. So if I get on the phone with someone I'm and I'm not confident in like it's my new role. I'm in a new company, whether mm. it's my first sales job. I'm just going to talk about what I know, and that's everything you've told me about the business. Whereas sure. if you talk, if you start with on the flip side of right for the first two or three, we're going to talk about the customers' world, and you're going to speak to customers, or you're going to speak to like-minded people from the business who would be in your customers' world, and and tell them all about that. That's probably where the the questions are going to go because I feel more comfortable asking about that. And then I can, you know, the less I know about the product and service, the better from the start because I don't overcomplicate it. Yeah. Well, and to go along with that, I mean, so earlier this year or earlier in 2020, I forgot we, we changed years. Uh, <laughs> I posted this post on LinkedIn, which is an exercise I've run with companies for, for decades, is describe what you sell in five words or less. So you have to encapsulate your value proposition and the outcomes that they're going to achieve from investing in your product in five words. But the thing is, there's not just one description is a five words because you sell to multiple stakeholders in an organization. They each have their own vision of what that is that they're buying from you. And you need to have that unique vision of what you're selling to each one of those. It's not the same right? If it's selling to a CEO versus a VP of sales, so say you're selling a sales application to a sales ops, rev ops, you know, it's different. So as a seller, you need to be, have in mind what those are when you're talking to those individuals. And I could tell you, I could go to 90% of the companies in the world and ask them to do that exercise and they'd have no freaking clue. Yeah. And I so- know. As a seller, you can't rely on the company. You got to do this yourself. You need to know as an individual salesperson out talking, what is it you're actually selling to that CMO, to that CFO, to you know, revenue operations director, IT manager, whatever it is you sell to those individuals. Because when people make uh, decisions, again, is an involved decision-making, they're stakeholders, they always look at it from two perspectives, right? What's this, what's in it for the company and what's in it for me? How's this decision going to impact the company? How's it going to impact me personally? And so when you get down to this level of what you're selling and the value of these individual stakeholders get these concise descriptions, then you're very focused as a seller on that individual. Yeah. Yeah, and, and to, to add to that as well, I think one thing that really over, well, it, the, one of the big things is overcomplicating the sale is, is, is almost like making it too complicated for them so that sometimes, you know, when we're buying something, we don't want to make ourselves feel like we don't know enough. Obviously, we're there to learn, but at the same mm. time, we don't want to feel like, actually, do you know what, you've this is just too much for me if someone comes across maybe trying to be too smart or too intelligent and one of the reasons behind that, I don't know if you've heard of the, the Maya principle. Fill me in. Uh, so there's a guy called Raymond Lowry back in the 1920s or 30s. 
and he was renowned for working with big brands and working out like what what resonated with people at the time. Mm-hmm. He actually created Air Force One on the on the uh, on the floor of the White House during that the designs and and what would work. He worked with Shell. He worked with Coca Cola at the time, and he came up with this principle, the Maya principle, which is most advanced yet acceptable, and it, it aligns to how our both sides of our brains work in that our primal brain will look for familiarity, but our rational brain will look for variety. And he said, anything that is too far out of our, is too advanced and, and not acceptable within our remit, we will reject. So if you look at things like, I don't know if you remember the, the Newton tablet that Apple released in 93. I mean, it's, yes, I do. <laughs> I show people pictures of that slide and everyone's like, no one guesses what it is, um, but it got discontinued in 98. And um, at That's the time, exactly. No one bought it, yeah. Yeah, exactly, because it was too advanced. If you look at Apple's evolution since, the way they've kind of evolved the iPod and, and made it completely like they had the wheel, they made the wheel smaller, smaller, now it's touchscreen. You look at things like Google Glass when that came out, 3D TVs, like anything that is too far removed from us, we will reject. So it talks about this. Go on, go for it. Well, I think it's right. But part of that has to do with with in that case it was just the, the physical ramification of the technology was, was impractical at that time. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you could make the argument that if, if Newton had actually solved a problem that people would have used it. And I think that was, that was in my mind was more of the issue. I mean, I'd worked at Apple prior to that. Um, and if you can make what you're doing relatable, right. And I think that, I've, lots of people sell complex products that if you look at them in their entirety, you think, well, yeah, this is too advanced. But I think oftentimes, certainly through marketing, but in the case of individual salespeople, mm-hmm. is your job is to be able to make that relatable, right? And you know, part of what you have to do is, is walk the buyer, stakeholder, whatever we call them, through this mental test drive of what it would be like to you know, incorporate this change into their routine, their lives, whatever that is, right? So yeah. it starts becoming tangible and real to them. And and this is the part that's, you know, just missing in most sales circumstances is to say, yeah, it's, yeah, let's walk through that. So tell me what'd be like, yeah, for you as an individual, if you're going to use this, let's say you're selling a software application, you know, use this application, how would this affect you? So let's go through your routine. What do you currently do? What would it be different? And it could be very advanced, but we're just looking at what it's in it for them, just their section of it, right? And and that's how you sell complex things, mm-hmm. is you have to make it real to the person on a personal level and make it applicable to the point you made. Um, and too often in sales, they get you know we get rung up, or so hung up on this idea of let's paint this grand picture of how everything's going to transform as a result of this, and it starts becoming intimidating and yeah. starts feeling risky so let's break the risk down what's it what's how, what's the impact on the individual let's walk them through what that's really going to be like for them hmm. and then you start in creating in their minds a sort of vision of what how they use it and how they succeed with it and it's just this part of it right it's not the the whole thing yeah yeah it makes me think of this term that i've, I've had um linked to what i was talking about before called a familiar surprise so making something surprising familiar if you're mm-hmm. selling something surprising making it familiar if you're selling something familiar make it surprising 
Because yeah. I think it's so easy, isn't it, when we've got a new product or service and we're like, we want to go and tell them all the things that they can't do right now, but you've got to make it familiar. You've got to make them feel comfortable with what they still can do and relate it to their world to make them understand why they should then want to advance it and, and right. move beyond it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, calls to mind a sort of an expansion strategy. Everybody talks about land and expand with you know, subscription services. But what you were really describing, and this term that, that we used uh, in several companies I was at, because we were bringing in, excuse me, new communications technology, is we called it fit in standout. And the first task was we just had to fit in with what they were doing. Mm-hmm. But once we fit in, then we could say, okay, now let's take the next step. Now you can do this with it. And, but if you tried to go in with the big picture up front, uh, yeah, it wasn't going to happen. So counterpart to land and expand is fit in, stand out. Yeah. Yeah. So from, from your perspective then with, with everything that's kind of, we've talked about the kind of evolution, but from your own sort of personal self with with obviously what's been going on in the last sort of nine or 12 months how have you have you taken care of your own like your mindset and your mental well-being you talked about the podcast being a great place to 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 learn and grow and, and hear from other people but have you taken any gems from them in terms of that you've applied to your own personal life uh not consciously i mean i i um it's been interesting for us because we as I mentioned maybe before I start recording, is that the, my podcast was acquired earlier this year by a software company. And that happened, gosh, two weeks before shutdown. So we basically, from a purely remote basis, we've uh, rebranded the whole podcast. We introduced a new podcast. We've you know, increased the number of episodes we've been producing. So yeah, we had that integration to go through, which was fun and engaging. Um, but on a personal level, is, is yeah, I mean, there's some anxiety. The first month, my wife and I were in Manhattan, um, and we just sort of had to get into a routine. And we sort of did two things. One is, is we stopped reading the news as much. Uh, I'd seen a, a, a quote in the New York Times from a psychologist somebody had interviewed and he said, his recommendation was that people should read just enough news to keep themselves safe and then stop. And so we sort of adopted that. And so then we just weren't, you know, freaking out about everything that's going around outside us. And, you know, we've been abundantly safe and cautious in terms of uh, compliance with mask wearing and social distancing and, and so on. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're like everybody else. We're ready for it to be over, and we desperately miss, you know, the things that that were part of our life before, which was you know frequent travel and, and yeah, third world or first world problems. Excuse me. Um, but yeah, we're also confident that if people just do what they need to do, and we get the vaccinations going, that yeah, another six to 12 months will be somewhat packed <laughs> or at least have a semblance of normality returning. Um, and so, yeah, that's been useful, but also for us at the routine, I think more than anything else is just, you know, we, we exercise a lot to keep, you know, minds and body healthy and, and refreshed and, 
obviously did a lot of zoom calling and family game nights via zoom and just tried to stay engaged with as many of the people in our lives as we could yeah yeah great well andy thank you so much for your your time today and, and sharing your your stories and your and your wisdom as well well chris thank you very much it's been a lot of fun thank you and for for people who are who are tuning in for the first time as i mentioned and there are very few who may have not been familiar with you where's the best place to find the podcast and and, and more about yourself and what you're doing Sure. Uh, well, podcast, uh, two places, uh, iTunes, certainly, or any other place you listen to the podcast, or you come to ringdna.com and uh, find all of our episode uh, pages there. And uh, best way to connect with me is really LinkedIn these days. So usual preamble and then real Andy Paul. And um, yeah, if you come to ringdna.com, again, the company that owns our podcast, they subscribe to a newsletter and blogs there as well. So do a fair amount of blogging as well. Great. Well, Andy, thank you again. And for listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode. I will catch you again soon. Hey, people. Thanks for tuning in. If you want more of this content, then head over to our website, salespsyche.co.uk. Psyche is P-S-Y-C-H-E. And sign up for our self-talk newsletter. Plus, we also run another podcast, Master Brilliance and Resilience. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. Always happy to chat. But for now, stay mindful. Catch you soon.